This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. Today on the On Enquirer podcast, we catch up with our guy, Michael Tulip, On Enquirer basketball analyst. We react to Illinois basketball's key road victory, 87-75 to at Ohio State. That keeps them... On pace with Purdue and Wisconsin. Big week for Wisconsin as they had to Nebraska on Thursday night, the the day we're recording this podcast, and then host Purdue, uh, which narrowly escapes Northwestern in an overtime game in West Lafayette. So we'll see uh, if any movement happens this week. We know Purdue, Wisconsin is going to drop one this week. So Illinois needs to continue to keep pace. They do at Ohio State. We'll see if they can do that at home against Nebraska. We preview that game. But we dive into Terrence Shannon and his best game. What can that mean for Illinois moving forward? We talk about Ty Rogers being an offensive weapon that teams have to be concerned about. The impact of that for Illinois. Should we still be concerned about this defense that allowed 1.15 points per possession to Ohio State? And what fixes do we need to see there? What Michael Tulip saw from Dane Danger, Amani Hansberry, and Dre Gibbs Lawhorn off the bench. And we look ahead to Sunday's game against Nebraska and then a week off as they prepare for a huge matchup against Michigan State moving into next week. We break it all down with Michael Tulip coming up next right here on the Illini Inquirer podcast. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. It's time to catch up with our guy, Michael, to appear on the Alana Enquirer podcast as Illinois gets how many victories? Three victories or two victories and a loss to Northwestern since the last time we chatted. It's been a little bit, Mike. We got a lot to talk about, but uh, we're fresh off the win at Ohio State. And I think obviously the lasting story of that is not just a road win, whether it stays a quad one win, we can debate. But Terrence Shannon, uh, this he's been back for four games. Illinois goes three and one there. It took a really epic performance by Northwestern to even dispatch Illinois, which didn't seem like it played all that well at Northwestern, but played well enough to to get an overtime of that one. Uh, but Terrence Shannon looked his best at Ohio State. So we're four games into this. What have you thought about the reacclimation, reintegration, whatever you want to call it, uh, and what that performance at Ohio State can mean? Yeah, I think there was always going to be rust with Terrence just because of the way he plays the way he plays doesn't lend itself to long layoffs 
And when you talk about easing a guy back in like him, there's no soft launching Terrence Shannon. Uh, I thought there were times in the first three games and, and at times in, at Ohio State too where he kind of looked like he wasn't trying to rock the boat. And that's just not conducive for the way that he plays. His, his game is predicated on aggression and assertiveness, and it helps everyone else around him when, when he plays that way. So this game against Ohio State was the first game, in my opinion, where he looked like he finally had his legs under him. I thought he had the most lift on his shot. I thought he had the most ball control in transition, body control in transition. And, you know, like you had to let him work through those things because whatever you envision the ceiling being for this Illinois team, it's the top end of it is with Terrence Shannon. So if it looked ugly for a couple games, you just kind of had to work through that and, and hope that he figured it out. And I, and I thought he definitely figured some things out against Ohio State. Yeah, and you still won three of the four games, right? Like, the Indiana game was rough. Like, uh, the Northwestern, there were moments where it could get a little bit rough. But to, to come out of it with three wins in those four games while he's adjusting, like, how do you think that sets up? Like, is, is Ohio State a springboard? Can it be a springboard for Terrence Shannon and the rest of this team? It should be. I mean, these, these, these guys are human. And when you are – lacking confidence or you're a little hesitant like I think Terrence was when he came back in addition to the conditioning and and all that you see yourself get back to form a little bit it should reaffirm some things for you where you say hey I am that guy like I'm back to to trying to be that guy that I was pre-suspension and that I think that just you could tell when he got going this team just started to gain a collective confidence right and that that bodes well moving forward for sure all right has the put the center on Ty Rogers defense has has it failed outside of Purdue? I mean, that was a great performance by Ty against Ohio State. I liked what he was doing against Indiana. I thought he probably should have played a little bit more in that game. There's just an aggressiveness and a confidence out of Ty Rogers that even with Shannon seems to have come back. So has Illinois figured out? Has Ty Rogers figured out how to attack that kind of defense? Yeah, look, I thought he was arguably the player of the game at Ohio State. I mean, you could you could you could give it to to. Terrence, you could give it to Damas. Both of them were fantastic. But I thought the Ty's effort, his energy, the way he attacked, timely rebounds, putbacks, finishes, like I thought he was outstanding in that game. And he's just he's grown a lot more comfortable with the matchups that he's getting. And and honestly, it is 100 percent shouldn't say 100 percent as I give the fact that it didn't work as well against Purdue. But by and large, it is benefiting Illinois. And, you know, I, like he's finding crevices. He's making himself available and and then attacking head up and with back downs when he sees a, when he sees matchups that he likes. And the reason this has actually been a benefit for Illinois is because he's quicker than these bigs. Uh, he can put bigs in foul trouble. He's a confrontational driver. We've talked about him being even more of a confrontational driver since his free throws have gone up. His percentages have gone up. Now he's not hesitant at all to go to the line. I think he steps up there with some purpose now, and he steps up there with some confidence. And then, you know, I, I think if you're going to play off of him like teams do, you're leaving one of the best offensive rebounders in the Big Ten Conference with a free run to the basket. And that's where he's also hurting teams. So – 
and then on top of that, he's a really good defender. Well, and then he's he's, he's providing that screener, right? Like on, when they're dropping on him, like Terrence got an open three just because he was screening at the top, right? Yeah, and that's my, that was my next point. Okay. So the the adjustment that the staff made with with Ty, they put him at the five, like they legitimately put him at the five against Ohio State, and and the we'll show it on the film so you can see the difference between it. But typically, when they run that stack action, and it's a very simple action, so it's if it's Terrence Shannon that's receiving the ball screen, him and the big, the five man, will be in a stack action at the free throw line. Terrence will pop up to the wing. You, everybody that's listening to this has probably seen this in the game. Mm-hmm. Guy enters it, big follows for a ball screen. Before that was Coleman Hawkins, mostly Dane Danger. They ran it a lot last year, and then they run it more when Dane's in compared to Coleman. But the adjustment that the staff made was, let's just put Ty at the five. Let's run stack and put Ty at the five and space Coleman to the corner the way he's shooting the ball. Now you spread the floor out and you get Ty operating in short rolls. Like I think he's one of their best rollers. Mm-hmm. These are best playing out of rolls, the way he finishes around the basket. So I thought that was an awesome adjustment. And I think it kind of unlocks Ty because we actually talked about this before, like before Ty's freshman year. You're like, can you make him a ball screener and play in short roll, like four on three situations and have him make reads because he can pass the ball too? It's a great wrinkle. And who knows? Maybe moving forward, teams are like, hey, let's play him a little more honest. Even though he's not a shooter, it, it you know, we're closer to check out. We're closer to um, potentially get on him so he's not head full of steam coming at us with downhill. So we'll see if teams now revert back yeah. and adjust back. But I'd say on the whole, the putting a five on uh, – a lot of people panicked after the Purdue game. We talked about it where I thought it was more of a Zach Eady thing yeah. where, where he may be the defensive player of the year in, in the conference. I think he is right but, now. Yeah, yeah and because outside of that, I think Ty Rogers has done a, a hell of a job. I mentioned him being like the player of the game in the Ohio State game. I thought he, I thought he, he had a big part in turning that Indiana game in the first half Agreed. when things were a little sluggish. So – now, he's been great, man. He's been great these past few weeks. Yeah, that was the second game of January where, like, uh-oh, they figured out how to stop this offense, and Illinois finishes the month fifth in offensive efficiency in the in the country. Yeah. Uh, Marcus Damask, I don't want to let this performance go into the rain. Like, we've kind of accepted that Marcus Damask is a 20-point, five-assist guy during Big Ten play. Would, would he be your transfer of the year if that was the award? If there's a newcomer of the year, is Marcus Damask the guy? I don't know why they don't have that. They should board. I feel like I feel like a lot of now with the portal era. I feel like it's even more needed. But he is. I think he would be the transfer of the year, newcomer of the year for me. I mean, when you talk about twenty a game and five rebounds, like that is not easy to do um, for anyone. There's guys that do it sometimes on bad teams, but this is a really good Illinois team, and he helped keep them afloat when Terrence was out and now Terrence can come back in and get reacclimated and they're still sitting at seven and three and they still have everything they they want to achieve in front of them whether it's a big 10 regular season title or a deep run in March and he plays a big part in that I think AJ Storr is another guy that you can definitely look at he's 18 a game and five rebounds and 37 percent from three he's he's that's pretty much the same Wisconsin team from last year the only difference is they have AJ Store now, yep. and and Chucky Hepburn's taking a backseat. Uh, a couple guys have taken a backseat because he just is that talented and that good. So I think that would be a, a kind of a two horse race, but I'd give the edge to to Damas because he's just been, man, 
he's he's given them such a variety and he's been he's been pretty lights out. Yeah, and, and like we could talk about Terrence Shannon being the best player on this team, but like everything runs through him offensively, Mike. And, and the way he's been able to handle it and succeed with it at a higher level, like I just don't want to overlook it because it's it's been one yeah. hell of a year. And give a lot of credit to Terrence too, yeah. because Terrence has come back and you could easily have had a kid that is trying to reclaim his all American status and no, I'm not giving it to you for you to back down and booty ball like, hey, come set a screen for me or I'm, he is he Terrence is smart enough to understand and he sat the, or you know he probably sat at home and watched the the games and said man even before he went out they were going to some booty ball actions and and Damas was super super efficient in that and I think Terrence realizes that it benefits him too yep. if Marcus is doing that and and we talked about it earlier in the year where someone needed to step up to alleviate some of that pressure from Terrence these guys have done that and some the the growth of Marcus Damas, the growth of Quincy Garrier, the growth of of Coleman Hawkins, yep. the growth of Justin Harmon. I mean, all those guys have played such a big role in helping each other out and helping each other succeed. And that's what that's what makes it fun to watch because that's that's the way basketball should be played, man. As good as this month was offensively, the defense ranked 71st in defensive efficiency, which is not where Brad Underwood wants this to be. And usually teams that make runs uh, in the tournament are, are better than that defensively. So uh, what? why has it slipped defensively, and what adjustments do you think can be made there? I think no Terrence hurt. Um, and now there's been moments when Terrence is coming back. He's, he's fallen asleep a couple times off the ball and whatnot. But what you can do with matchups when he's on the floor – he can guard the other team's best player. And that doesn't put as much strain on Damas to have to do that or or Luke Goody when he comes in the game to have to get switched on guys like that. So, you know, their defense specifically, where I see the biggest step back is in their communication hmm. throughout the month of January. I think you get to this point in November and December where you all of a sudden go, man, we're a good defense. We got this figured out. And maybe we're not going to communicate as much because it feels like it's second nature. It feels like we can kind of do this on autopilot and all these teams get reminders in January. I mean, UConn last year won the national championship. They lost six of eight at some point in that kind of January stretch where you start to lock back in and be like, okay, let's keep the main thing, the main thing, what brought us to the dance and let's get back to that. And I thought they did that against, against Ohio state. I thought their switching was the, probably the best that I've seen it their communication off the ball the best that I've seen it in this in this stretch probably like in this January stretch and that's that's encouraging because again I've made this point before but when you're a team that is so versatile defensively you can't let that be a de- like you know a detriment because you have all these coverages that you can run you can switch one through four you can switch one through five you can ice on the sideline you can play drop coverage they showed like a tad bit of zone from time to time so you're, there's a lot that you're doing, so you have to – even more so, you have to communicate on every single possession. Subs are coming in. Does everybody does that guy know what the coverage is? And and then the last point that I'll make is personnel. That is – there's been elements uh, in January where I feel like they haven't been great with personnel. And personnel, personnel a lot of times should dictate how much you're helping, how little you're helping, what the switches are. We'll get into Nebraska, but they have shooters. And if you have shooters 
you know, it's not just about switching. It's about switching up and taking away the airspace. Not let them sit behind that crevice to shoot threes and not going under when it's obvious that you're going under. Like a couple guys did in the Ohio State game against Jamison Battle. I guess Gary did it one time or Jamas did it one time against Gary against against Battle. So, you know, that type of stuff. And a lot of teams get a reminder in January. That's what January is for. Yeah. It's just, you know, you're starting to get guarded differently. There's more to process because you're in conference play. Now you lock back in. The good teams lock back in, the bad teams wilt and let it fester. So um, I expect this team being an older team to to not let that fester. This is a very small sample size, but Quincy Garrier, the last couple of games, I just feel like hasn't had that same bite uh, he did during that really great stretch. Uh, and then Coleman, obviously the emotion, finally got the best of him, and a, and a ref finally teed him up. It felt like this was pretty fortunate for Coleman that this was the first time he, he got teed up. But uh, anything stick out uh, of those guys? I mean, those guys are allowed off games every once in a while, but anything stand out? For sure. I mean, off games, no doubt. I, I think... You know, that Indiana game was really interesting because if if I remember correctly, it was Quincy Garrier that kind of got punked on a blockout mm-hmm. by Mbako and and he's able to finish for a layup off a free throw blockout. And, you know, then he comes down. I think he was frustrated. Then he fouled at 40 feet and Underwood took him out of the game and that was kind of it. Yep. I mean, he kind of got shelved. And, you know, that's, that's the sign of, one, a, a coach willing to hold his players accountable – but also a sign on this team where it's like, hey, if you're not doing your job and other guys are stepping up and we have talented pieces, you may sit. Now, I do think that Brad Underwood at times, Northwestern's a good example with Ty Rogers. I think he, I think the extended shelving at times is not needed. I just, I just think for 20 minutes in that Northwestern game, like you can't shelf Ty Rod. Like get him in at the, get him in by the under eight media in the second half maybe there's a spark maybe you recognize something hey this is a change that we can make because if you don't put him in you don't necessarily know and Quincy you know there were other guys that kind of had it rolling in in that Indiana game um or at least were more dialed in and those are the ones that you roll with and then for you know but I expect Quincy to bounce back because again older guy more experienced guy and then with Coleman I've texted someone uh during the Northwestern game and I said, I would be willing to bet money that Coleman Hawkins gets teed up in his next two games. <laughs> I don't know when it's going to be. You know, it, it might be the Indiana game. It might be the Ohio State game. But it's going to be one of the two. And it did. And it happened. And I, th- I think it's been brewing yep. for a few weeks. And look, for Coleman, it's just about understanding your importance to this team. And, and I think he cares deeply. But you just need to understand how to channel that. You're never going to take his fire away you're just not that's how guys like that are wired that's how they play Curbelo was uh, the same way right same way kind of wear their emotions on their sleeve and it and honestly it's what makes them a good player mm-hmm. so it's on the player and it's on the staff at times to kind of reel him in and be like okay understand your importance to the team we don't want to take away the the fire that you have or the the passion that you play with but just be more mindful of time and situation and and not having momentum shifting plays like that because that could easily turn into an 8-0 run from Ohio State and got them back in the game and uh, and got that arena, I guess, somewhat going. Uh, but, uh, yeah, just, just being more mindful. 
I think is top of the list for Coleman Hawkins. Yeah, we'll get into that Ohio State thing here in a second. But uh, obviously, with those guys struggling, you had Danger come in, and I think had his most impactful game of the year. Uh, Dre Gibbs, Allhorn, Amani come in, and they didn't lose anything. Like you're, you're sitting there four minutes, you know, Hawkins out, Danger out, Shannon out with foul trouble. Two freshmen come in. Uh oh, this could be the turning point of the game, and the lead only expanded. Harmon gets a ton of credit. Domas carried them offensively at that point, but those guys didn't hurt you. So, what what was most encouraging about the minutes from that depth? Like the depth actually showed up. Yeah, I mean, I think there's been a shift for a couple of those guys, but I'll start with Dane. Dane comes in there. He played 11 minutes. I don't care about the seven points. We know Dane can do that. There's no question. The three offensive rebounds and some of the defense that he played and his activity, that's that's got to be the name of the game for Dane Danger. Activity. I love that word. I love that word Act- for him. Active, run the floor. It's all those things that aren't that don't have to do with getting a post-entry touch, backing down, shooting a hook shot. The offensive rebounds, the the put back on the fast break. Uh, he had a couple blocks. He he was just he was it felt like he was more all over the place in a good way than than he has been in the past. So super encouraging, and you hope that he continues to channel that and say, man, this is my role. I may have tried to fight that at times, but if I'm going to come in and make an impact and this team needs me to do that, that's what I got to do. And then for for Amani, he plays the same way every time he comes mm-hmm. in the game. So you don't really worry about him. He's going to play with energy. He's going to play with effort. He's going to want to rebound. He's going to want to screen, and he's going he's gonna to really try defensively. Dre Gibbs Lawhorn, I've also seen a shift with. Because I think this is the moment for freshmen that have 18 points in a in an opener that start to realize, oh, Big Ten conference play, man, I got to guard. Period. If I don't guard, it doesn't matter what I do offensively. And I thought he came in, that three was huge against Indiana. Mm-hmm. So that kind of irrational confidence that he has is great because he can come in and while most guys are maybe timid, He's like, let's go. And and that's super helpful. But I thought just the way he's competing defensively. Because that's the one thing. If he came in against Ohio State and all he did was make a corner three and was just okay defensively, I'm not sure moving into the games upcoming that Brad Underwood's like, man, I feel confident throwing him out there in kind of any situation. He's going to guard like that and compete like that. That's a different story. And, and for all three of those guys. So now it goes from we're talking two weeks ago, man, it's thin for this team where's the depth and if these guys are going to play with keyword desperation because that's what i saw from those guys in the last four minutes of that half yeah that helps this team a lot and if you're drake gibbs Lawhorn and you know nico moretti can create for his teammates and things like that but really can't guard and sincere harris is red shirting that that's your role like that, that is your role is to come in and, and give be that energy guy and i i did like Mike, that Amani had confidence on offense. Like to take that corner three in rhythm looked good, just a looked little good. short, uh, and then to to take it off the bounce and and get that and one opportunity. I, that that showed me a lot. Like I, I'm really high on what he can be for the long term, and I, I've just loved his attitude. That even through the back injury, even through not getting a lot of minutes, like that guy comes in and he looks like he can help. Yeah, I, I like his demeanor. I like his attitude. I had the good fortune of sitting a couple rows behind the bench uh, for the Indiana game. And you could tell that with Dre Gibbs Lawhorn at times, you know, it, it, I give him a lot of credit because when he comes in, he competes, but there you can tell that like 
it does bother him, and it should, because he's um, he's a competitor, and he and he and he came to play. There's no question about that. And I just see Amani just time and time again with his arm around him and pumping him up and stuff, and that's just really cool to see from from another freshman who there's maturity you know, could easily be sitting there and kind of thinking about his own situation. But I see him being one of the first guys to jump up on the bench and clap. Like that sound, that stuff sounds so not relevant and trivial, but man, I, I just, for your culture and for just the overall vibe of the team, mm-hmm. man, it just, it makes you look and be like, okay, Amani, who's getting limited playing time is up cheering. Like, what do I have to complain about if I'm Justin Harmon or if I'm, Dane Danger, and I'm, I'm playing more and coming out of the game thinking about my own situation. So I this has just been really cool to see from them. Mike, and I know you always, like, when you're watching film or you're at a game, you watch the bench. Like, so I know to you... Hard like, not to. Yeah, yeah, but I know for you, like, that stuff matters. So coming from a former player, like, that stuff does matter and it does tell us something uh, a little bit about those guys. No, I, and the I, I've lived it and I've seen that when it comes to when quote unquote like cancers in the locker room, everybody always thinks about it's the guy that is the ball hawk or the guy that has a little bit of an attitude on the floor or something. It very often it is like the ninth, tenth, eleventh guy mm-hmm. on the team because they're unhappy with their role, they're unhappy with their situation, and misery loves company. And those type of guys will try to pull anyone they can with them. If, if their head is not on straight. It's the sixth guy in the rotation who maybe thinks he should be getting starting or should be getting some more shots up when he gets in the game that that guy may go over to and be like, yeah, man, that's crazy. Yeah, coach doesn't know what he's doing. And that's how that locker room frays. It is, not, it is, it is from the middle to the yeah. end and more than it is from the front, which is crazy. Yeah, what, what did Gross call it? Energy vampires? Yeah. What call it? I, think it was, I think it was a John, that was a John Gordon thing. Yes. But but Gross uh, loved that one. Yeah, no, I, the energy vampires. That was a that was a no no in our, in our locker rooms for Gross. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over thirty thousand mouth watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over six hundred dollars each week. You can also save up to one dollar off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, Sunday, Nebraska, Tominaga, and the Cornhuskers come to town. Uh, this is a, a team that hasn't played well on the road. They they play at Wisconsin today. We're, we're recording this on Thursday. Uh, so we'll see um, – or they host Wisconsin. So we'll see if they can continue their, their home. They're 5-0 and in Big Ten play. But uh, on the road, they're 0-5 in Big Ten play. But still, Mike, uh, a dangerous team offensively at times. So what are the keys for Illinois against the Cornhuskers? Yeah, I mean, I think Fred Hoiberg's done a great job. I think that Nebraska administration deserves a lot of credit because they could have easily parted ways with them two years ago. And you just don't know like when things are finally going to pop a little bit. And he's gone back to his Iowa state days a little bit where he, where he was just great with transfers. Deandre Kane, he brought in, they were just like, he's doing a little bit more of that here in Nebraska. And he got some really good players. Bryce Williams is a guy that I think Illinois was potentially targeting at one point because his ability to stretch the floor and he's got size, he's six, eight, um, and, and, you know, Mass was also a great pickup. Uh, Alec is another guy that, that comes from New Mexico and, and was an impact player in the Mountain West. And those guys have really put it together because they're, they're selfless. 
And that's the thing yeah. that sticks out the most when you watch that team. Now, defensively, what Nebraska does and what Illinois can exploit, exploit is they always have their quote-unquote like low holds, meaning they kind of park a guy underneath the basket. And if there are any baseline drives, they full rotate. Like they will send every, like they'll send that guy full rotate and force you to skip it, force you to hit drift pass passes and swing the ball around. And we saw against Northwestern earlier in the year where if that's what you want to do, this team is willing to pass it. They can move it around the arc. Uh, they can make shots and, and they can drive long closeouts. So that's got to be the game plan offensively. And then seeking out Tommy Naga, seeking out Sam Hoiberg and, and some of these other guys that you feel like you have, uh, you know, good matchups with, um, but but offensively for for Nebraska, I mean, they're one of the more combustible teams in the Big Ten. If I, I would honestly put them up there, like almost the most from from outside the arc. Their their last three wins, they've shot over fifty percent from three. Mm-hmm. Two of those two of those wins against Purdue and Ohio State uh, have been you know fourteen threes in a game. So whether it's Bryce Williams, Mass hit, I think, five or six against Ohio State. And then we know with Tominaga, I, I talked about it earlier in the pod, they do a lot of dribble handoffs. And what shooters do, really good shooters do, Steph Curry does it, uh, J.J. Redick was really good at it, is when teams are switching on dribble handoffs, there is always going to be a crevice in between the dribble handoff where you've been passed off but haven't been fully passed off yet. And guys will sit right behind that handoff and shoot. And that's what Tomi Naga does. So it's not about switching. It's about switching up. Yeah. Like that. that's what I'm watching when I'm watching Illinois' defense is how good are you not just with your switches and communicating, but switching up. Because you're not, you're not going to get burned if you, if you run Tomi Naga off the line and overcommit. That should be the game plan. So um, that's what I'll be looking for here for, for this matchup. And then Illinois, I mean, this is they needed this kind of break. Um, it's just four days, but uh, it's been really, uh, you know, just game after game after game here. But then they get a week off until Michigan State, which is a huge opportunity for Illinois, not only in this Big Ten race, but NCAA tournament. So what, what does that week off mean for a team that's, you know, had game after game here, Mike? Well, it's huge because you can finally take a breath and, and – focus on yourself a little bit because I think when you get into these two-day three-day preps over and over again then it's just immediately becomes about the next opponent Mm -hmm. and who are we playing what's the scout scout team personnel how we guarding them and not hey here's our three days we have on the front end of this layoff before we start getting into personnel where maybe we change some things maybe we we add you know this defensive wrinkle or we add this offensive wrinkle and we can rep it for a couple days without having to have that impede on the scout or impede on the personnel so coaches love it because they can break it up in that fashion uh but but for sure you want you needed to survive this this stretch because i think they had a similar stretch last year and you know i don't know what it ended up being six games in 17 days or or something crazy like that so they 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 were able to for the most part survive it to this point i mean you're you're three and one since since terrence came back and um so now you, you try to get a little bit more continuity through practices that are focused on yourself, and then you worry about the personnel those next couple of days before Michigan State. Mike, uh, the hot seat is starting to emerge in the Big Ten. And uh, yes. if you're the AD at Ohio State and Michigan, these are two really good jobs, by the way. Yeah. What is concerning you most about what is happening there? 
I mean, what concerns you most is just when your team and both of them, I think, fall into this category. Just I, neither of them play with any juice. Yeah. Like it's and and that's reflected in the capacity or you know the the attendance at the arena. Um, that's usually a a telltale sign. And you know, I I do think there's always elements of like, hey, they don't they don't look like they play for their coach, you know, or their coach lost them. Those two teams don't look like they play for each other, right? And that's that's the that's the first thing because I've seen teams in the past that you know maybe weren't necessarily connected with their coach or whatever and just kind of put up with it, and but they played for each other and you can still survive that way. So now you can't be defiant, but you have to play hard and play for each other. And um, I, I don't see that with those two teams. Now I do think that something that flies a little bit under the radar for both those teams. Is I think out of this, and this is really more off the top of my head, so I'd have to like really look into it. But I think out of all the teams in the Big Ten, the two things that Ohio State and Michigan have in common is that over the last couple of years, they've sent the most guys to the NBA. Mm-hmm. And I mean, let's just take Michigan, for example. You obviously lose Dickinson, but to get a second year of Diabate in Houston, what that potentially could have meant to get a second year of Jet Howard to get a third year of Kobe Bufkin. I mean, all four of those guys are not got like those, all four of those guys could be out of the NBA in five years, yeah, four years when their rookie contracts are up. Some of them may stick around. Some of them may hang on, but you very easily could have had extra years of those guys. Same goes for Malachi Branham. Same not as high on Brent, Bryce Sensabaugh because I just – I mean, he was one of the worst defenders in the Big Ten last year. But talented offensively, and maybe in a at sophomore year he starts valuing that more. Um, you know, EJ Liddell leaves a year early. So, you know, that that hurts. And Like, I, I don't know if those – I think a change should be made. Um, I think it's just time, and I think both coaches would land on their feet. Yeah. It's just – I don't know. My personal opinion on the Michigan job is just how good of a job is that? Because B- BYU I, made I it look a lot better, right? I think it's a good job, but relative to how people talk about that job, the amount of like admissions issues, like the the how that's impacted transfers. I mean, there are other schools where it's like grad transfer cool, like hey, just finish your stuff in July and come on over. And Michigan just has different parameters. Um, you know, in some ways, they truly they operate like they're a Ivy League type of school that's shown in the Doug McDaniel suspension. And mm-hmm. um, so I don't know. I, Ohio State, like if I were to if I were to rank both of them, I think Ohio State's a better job. I I, I really do. Um, now Michigan may have more tradition, right. if you call it that, but things have changed in the last few years. So I'll be really interested to see. I mean, I think. I think Holtman and Howard to a degree have been impacted by guys leaving for the NBA and haven't necessarily like hit it out of the park with, with transfers. And that's, that's hurt them both. So we'll see what happens, but they're definitely not going to be the only, you know, seats that are warm. Yeah. Like, you know, Indiana, I think he's going to get another year unless he decides I'm just, I'm 65 and I'll, I'll head it to dusty may if they want to get dusty may in there. Uh, but kudos to, to Ben Johnson, man. Like, the difference between Michigan and Ohio State couldn't be more clear, and I think especially Michigan. 
Minnesota plays hard. Like yeah. those guys play for each other, and there's there's something at least foundationally there where those guys are either listening to their coach or they want to play for each other. So I'll give him credit there. I still think I'd want to see more from Minnesota, see him close us out with with a winning season. Uh, but I, I never thought he'd get a year four, and at least he's his team's playing for him. They play hard, like they play with juice. Yeah. And now it's amazing. You start winning some more games and games that, you know, in previous years you probably would have lost. So that's just the maturation process there and, and Ben Johnson growing has been really cool to see because I think everybody targeted that role coming into the year is like, okay, well, Minnesota's going to be open. And now it's, you know, he, he he might, depending on how he finishes out this season, he may have, he may have bought himself, he may have bought himself some more time. But I'll just be curious across the whole, you know, what happens at Louisville? Who gets mm-hmm. the DePaul job? Um, you know, there's all this buzz at Arkansas. Have you heard that, my DePaul guy? Am I what? Have you heard my DePaul guy? I hope it's Will Wade. Juwan Howard. That's not a bad yeah. I <laughs> I can see that. I if if Michigan moves on, I I think that's a big name. Um I think you get dudes there and being Chicago guy, like I, I think in that league you might have some success. I just Michigan I you're right. He he lost some guys, but I think he can still succeed as as a coach. I just think at Michigan it's it's past time. Yeah, yeah. Seeing him at DePaul would be interesting for sure. Because I think whoever takes that job, and, and this is what's so funny, because everybody on the outside can say, Why in the world would you want that job? Yeah. But that's just not how these coaches are wired. You're, you make three, four million dollars a year and you're gonna be an assistant in the NBA. He's probably and not. If you have a ink like a, a speck of success at DePaul, you're like Red Auerbeck. Right. So like th- that's that's why I look at like I'm personally rooting for Will Wade because I truly <laughs> think I like he is just the type of guy. He's good. I mean, he has McNeese State like 20 and 2 right now. Right. McNeese there's State. There's no there's no question he's a good coach. Like, no, yeah, and, no and he'll and he will Find a way to get got. Sure will. Um, especially in this era, it's probably a little bit more uh, conducive to 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 you know the way a Will Wade operates. But yeah, I I, I don't know. It, and then just people love the portal. I'm I am more of a carousel guy. I I, I love the coaching carousel. Yeah. Well, we, we're gonna have plenty. Of the dominoes about. will start falling here in a couple months. Yeah, we'll have plenty to talk about. Uh, we we're doing like a pre podcast segment about the yeah. all big 10 team next week let's do that mike Let, yeah. let's come up with our 15 guys in the all big 10 team because it is a difficult uh difficult decision and i i do think it sets up well for for illinois guys but we'll get into that next week appreciate the time as always mike appreciate it man great stuff as always from michael tulip check out his film room we just broke down and he really illustrated well how ty rogers is putting pressure on defenses now uh, that the Zach Eady defense has kind of been an outlier so far and uh, what he did uh, against Ohio State. We also dive into some defense that was a little bit of an improvement uh, from the previous week. So as always, if you're not a VIP member, just $1 for your first month. I keep telling you, Michael Tulip and Jay Lynn's film rooms are worth the price of admission alone. And then on top of that, you get Derek Piper's analysis. You get all our reporting from everywhere we go and plenty of recruiting breakdowns. And we've had a busy week with Illinois football recruiting. Uh, We'll see what they do with these open assistant coach positions. But uh, we've had plenty of insight on the newest additions to the Illini class of 2025 throughout the week here at Illini Inquirer and who could be next. 
Thank you as always for listening to the Illini Enquirer podcast. Give us a follow, rating, review wherever you get your podcasts. If you check us out on YouTube, hit that like button, subscribe to us, hit the notifications bell. That helps us out as well. Everybody have a great day. Take care of each other. We'll talk to you next time right here on the Illini Enquirer podcast. Bye, everybody. It's the most all-star studded challenge ever. And this time, it's every competitor for themselves. Best challenge ever! The Challenge All-Stars. New season now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Go to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply.